Greetings and welcome to Illum Radio, a different kind of oldies program. I'm your oldie host, John Lovering, and I appreciate you dropping by to listen to this podcast. On this track, I offer another episode from the series known as The Black Mass, an incredible series produced by KPFA Radio, Berkeley, and was the work of producer, director, adapter, and a very talented vocal actor, Eric Bowersfeld. As you might expect, with a title like The Black Mass, it is a series that is a horror supernatural anthology series. It aired regularly from 1963 to 1970, producing some 40-plus dramatizations that ran anywhere from 3 to 45 minutes in length. The tales were those of the macabre, the bizarre, the supernatural, and generally uncomfortable stories conceived and written by talented and established authors, most of which were not known for writing in such genres. The series stands out for its high production values as well. Sound effects, pacing, the chilling tales themselves all together present an excellent series. Generally, the series dramatized a wide range of writing styles, so not every story will please every listener, but there is something for everyone within the series. You will either love the story or hate it, but you will not deny that it is a very unique and extremely well-produced series. On this track, you will hear the story Disillusionment by Thomas Mann, adapted and produced by Eric Bowersfeld. Eric Bowersfeld plays Man 2, and Bernard Mays plays Man 1. Two strangers sit at Florian's Cafe on the Piazza di San Marco in Venice, Italy. This is Thomas Mann's brief tale about a search in life for something that isn't a disappointment. It also reveals the origin of Peggy Lee's popular song, Is That All There Is? Most of the lyrics are taken word for word from Mann's story. The show runs about 14 minutes and was originally aired on July 1st, 1964. Alum Radio now presents a rebroadcast of the Black Mass, Disillusionment. Here is Bernard Mays to introduce you to a fellow, perhaps not quite, of your own heart. In Thomas Mann's story, Disillusionment. I confess that I was completely bewildered by the conversation which I had with this extraordinary man. I'm afraid that I'm even yet hardly in a state to report it in such a way that it will affect others as it did me. Very likely, the effect was largely due to the candour and friendliness with which an entire stranger laid himself open to me. It was some two months ago, on an autumnal afternoon, that I first noticed my stranger on the Piazza di San Marco, on the wide square the standards flapped in the light sea breeze in front of that sumptuous marvel of colour and line. Directly before the central portal, a young girl stood, strewing corn for a host of pigeons at her feet, while more and more swooped down in clouds from all sides. He was rather under middle height and a little stooped, walking briskly and holding his cane in his hands behind his back. He wore a stiff black hat, a light summer overcoat and dark striped trousers. He might have been thirty years old, he might have been fifty, 
From time to time he would look searchingly about him, then stare upon the ground, mutter a few words to himself, give his head a shake, and fall to smiling again. And in this fashion he marched perseveringly up and down the square. After that first time I noticed him daily, for he seemed to have no other business than to pace up and down thirty, forty, or fifty times, in good weather or bad, always alone and always with that extraordinary bearing of his. On the evening which I mean to describe, I was sitting at one of the little tables which spread out into the piazza from Florian's cafe, and when the concourse of people had begun to disperse, my unknown, with his accustomed absent smile, sat down in a seat left vacant near me. The evening drew on. The scene grew quieter and quieter. Soon all the tables were empty. Hardly any strollers were left. The majestic square was wrapped in peace. The sky above it thick with stars. A great half-moon hung over the splendid, spectacular facade of San Marco. I'd been reading my paper with my back to my neighbour, and was about to surrender the field to him when I was obliged instead to turn in his direction, for he now suddenly began to speak. Uh, uh, you are in Venice for the first time, sir. Oh, uh, why, yes. Ah. Ah, you are seeing all this for the first time. Does it come up to your expectations? No, oh, it surpasses them. Surpasses them, eh? You did not picture it as finer than the no, reality. No, no, no. <laughs> you mean it. You would not say so in order to seem happy and enviable now. Well, surely not. Ah. He leaned back and looked at me, blinking rapidly, with a quite inexplicable expression. The ensuing pause lasted for some time. I didn't know how to go on with this singular conversation, and once more was about to depart when he hastily leaned towards me. Uh, do you know, my dear sir? Yes. Um, what disillusionment is? Uh, disillusion? Oh, oh, not a miscarriage in small, unimportant matters, but the great and general disappointment, which everything, everything, all of life, has in store. <laughs> well... <laughs> no, of course you do not know. But from my youth up, I have carried it about with me. <laughs> it has made me lonely, unhappy... Ah, and a bit eccentric, I do not deny that. You see, I grew up in a clergyman's family, in quite a small town. Uh, there reigned in our home a punctilious cleanliness and the pathetic optimism of the scholarly atmosphere. We breathed a strange atmosphere, compact of pulpit rhetoric, of large words for good and evil, beautiful and base, which I bitterly hate since maybe they are to blame for all of my sufferings. Yes. For me, for me, life consisted utterly of those large words. But I knew no more of it than the infinite insubstantial emotions which they called up in me. From man, I expected divine virtue or hair-raising wickedness. From life, either ravishing loveliness or else consummate horror. And I was full of a profound, tormented yearning for a larger reality, for experience of no matter what kind, let it be glorious and intoxicating bliss, or unspeakable, undreamed-of anguish. I remember, sir, 
I remember with painful clearness the first disappointment of my life. And I would beg you to observe that it had not at all to do with the miscarriage of some cherished hope, but with an unfortunate occurrence. There was a fire at night in my parents' house, where I was hardly more than a child. It had spread insidiously until the whole small story was in flames up to my chamber door and the stairs would soon have been on fire as well. I discovered it first and I remember that I went rushing through the house shouting over and over, fire, fire, fire. I know exactly what I said and what feeling underlay the words, though at the time it could scarcely have come to the surface of my consciousness. So, so this is a fire. This is what it is like to have the house on fire. Is this all there is to it? Well, uh, it uh, was serious enough. <laughs> oh, it was serious enough. Goodness knows the whole house burned down. The family were only saved with difficulty. And it would have been wrong to say that my fancy could have painted anything much worse than the actual burning. Yet, some vague, formless idea of an event, even more frightful, must have existed somewhere within me, by comparison with which the reality seemed flat. <sighs> this fire was the first great event of my life. It left me defrauded of my hope of fearfulness. Well, do not fear lest I go on to recount my disappointments to you in detail. Enough to tell you that I zealously fed my magnificent expectations of life with the matter of a thousand books and the works of all the poets, all the poets. Ah, how I have learned to hate them. Those poets who chalked up their large words on all the walls of life because they had no power to write them on the sky with pens dipped in Vesuvius. I came to think of every large word as a lie or a mockery. Ecstatic poets have said that speech is poor. Ah, how poor are words, so they sing. But no, sir, speech, it seems to me, is rich, is extravagantly rich compared with the poverty and limitations of life. Pain has its limits. Physical pain in unconsciousness and mental in torpor. It is not different with joy. Our need for communication has found itself a way to create sounds which lie beyond these limits. Ah, is the fault mine? Is it down my spine alone that certain words can run so as to awaken in me intuitions of sensations which do not exist? Ah, I went out into that supposedly so wonderful life craving just one, one single experience which should correspond to my great expectations. God help me, I have never had it. I have roved the globe over, seen all the best praised sights, all the works of art upon which have been lavished the most extravagant words. I have stood in front of these and said to myself, Ah, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. And yet, is that all? Is it no more beautiful than that? One must have a sense of actualities, of actualities. Actualities. Ah, perhaps that is the trouble. Once, somewhere in the world, I stood by a deep, narrow gorge in the mountains. Bare rock went up perpendicular on either side, and far below uh, the water roared past. I looked down. I looked down. 
down and thought to myself, what if I were to fall? But I knew myself well enough to answer, if that were to happen, you would say to yourself as you fell, now you are falling, you are actually falling. Well, and what of it? But uh, what of actual experiences of life? Uh, have you ever been in love? Ah, uh, years ago, I fell in love. A charming, gentle creature, whom it would have been my joy to protect and cherish. But she loved me not, which is not surprising. And she married another. What other experience can be so painful as this? What tortures are greater than the dry agonies of baffled lust? Many a night I lay wide-eyed and wakeful. Yet my greatest torture resided in the thought. So this is the greatest pain we can suffer. Well, and what then? Is this all? Ah. Shall I go on and tell you of my happiness? For I have had my happiness as well, and it too has been a disappointment. No, I need not go on, for no heaping up of bald examples can make clearer to you that it is life in general. Life in its dull, uninteresting, average course which has disappointed me. Disappointed. Disappointed. Often I have thought of the day when I gazed for the first time at the sea. Ah, the sea is vast. The sea is wide. My eyes roved far and wide and longed to be free. <laughs> but there was the horizon. Why a horizon when I wanted the infinite from life? Ah! ah. Oh, but it is dark, and you have almost ceased to listen to me. It is my favourite occupation to gaze at the starry heavens at night, that being the best way to turn my eyes away from Earth and from life. And perhaps it may be pardoned in me that I still cling to my distant hopes, that I dream of a freer life where the actuality of my fondest anticipations is revealed to be without any torturing residue of disillusionment, of a life where there are no more horizons. So I dream and wait for death. Ah! Ah, how well I know it already. Death. That last disappointment. At my last moment, I shall be saying to myself, so this is the great experience. Well, and what of it? What is it, after all? It has grown cold here on the piazza, sir. That I can still feel. <laughs> I have the honour, sir, to bid you 
a very good night. A very good night. <sighs> that was Disillusionment by Thomas Mann.